It is episode six of the Put It on the Board podcast, recapping a week of Chicago White Sox baseball and a frustrating week of White Sox baseball. The White Sox drop two three-game series to the San Francisco Giants at home and then lose two out of three in Pittsburgh. This team has been a roller coaster 11 games into the year with some starting pitching issues some fielding difficulties, the bats are up, then they're down, then they're up again, and the injuries are starting to stack up. Eloy Jimenez on the IL, Joe Kelly on the IL, and day-to-day injuries for Yoan Moncada and Tim Anderson. So uh, not the ideal start White Sox fans were wanting to 2023, but how concerned are we? Uh, Where is our morale level really after 11 frustrating games to open the season and where do the White Sox go from here uh, with the upcoming schedule and how is the AL Central playing out so far we've got all that in more on episode six of put it on the board so without further ado let's put some crooked numbers up on that board This is episode six of the Put It on the Board podcast. Today is Tuesday, April 11th, 2023. Coming out on a Tuesday, we had some uh, Easter weekend travel schedule conflicts to kind of maneuver around. So Sam Phelan, Noah Phelan, we're coming at you on a Tuesday for the first time. Uh, This will not be a recurring thing every week. We'll be back on Monday of next week to recap the previous week of White Sox baseball. But Noah, welcome in to episode six of the show. Uh, And I don't really know where to begin with this show because the White Sox are five and six. Uh, We are recording this, as I said, on Monday night. So they did get a four to three victory over the Minnesota Twins in their first division game of the 2023 season. But overall, the week in review um, I believe it. it's a pretty negative feeling for White Sox fans looking back on a series loss to San Francisco and then losing two out of three to a Pittsburgh Pirates team that you were kind of relying on, you know, winning some games against this year. Yeah, I think this week was the easy part of their schedule, at least for the foreseeable future. Uh, I mean, if you look at the rest of the April schedule, you've got Minnesota, the Phillies, the Orioles, you've got some games with the Rays coming up who I don't know if they're ever going to lose this year. You've got the Blue Jays, another very good team. So you kind of look at this Pirates Giants week and think like, well, this should have been their opportunity to get a few wins in the books early. Um, And they got a couple, but it just it's frustrating. Some of the games that they dropped this week where you just feel like the team didn't play as well as they should have. And uh, it's kind of frustrating to lose series to teams that you think you should beat. I don't think there's any way of sugarcoating it as anything other than a bad week of baseball. Like it was an infuriating week of baseball. Even their win today, their four to three win today was frustrating, very difficult to watch. They gave up runs with poor defense. Like Dylan Cease is an absolute warrior out there working around error after error after defensive blunder after defensive blunder that made him work twice as hard. So like, it's a lot of the same White Sox stuff that we were frustrated by last season. Uh, And uh, I mean, I don't want to jump around too much into the week, but like it felt like one thing would go 
and one thing would would suffer and, and it would be the reason they lost you know the offense is scoring runs and your starting pitching is as bad as, as it's ever been and then Mike Clevenger gives you an awesome start uh against Pittsburgh and you can't score a run and you you know, like uh it's just like they find or Michael Kopech rather gave you the one run start and you lose one to nothing so I don't know. It's the 2022 frustration all over again in there for me, where it's like, you can't play complete baseball. Can we just have complete baseball right now? The answer is no, it's one thing's a problem. Now the next thing's a problem. And will they ever find a way to get on a run where all things are clicking at the same time? No, you're exactly right. Uh, I talked about this a little bit after Sunday's game. Uh, It was the one they lost one to nothing. Like you said, Michael Kopech, horrible in the home opener. He was tipping his pitches. He gave up five home runs in the home opener. He was terrible. There's no other way around it. And he needed a rebound in a big way, and he got it. He did six innings of one-run ball against the Pirates. He looked a lot better than he did in the home opener. And the White Sox, who have been hitting all week, all of a sudden aren't. And it's, it's really frustrating because like you said, you know, one day, you know, the bats are there, they score nine runs on Friday, but the pitching's bad. They give up 13 and they lose. And then the pitching finally puts it together for the first time in like a week on Sunday, and they can't even muster up two runs to win the game. And so it's a lot of what we saw in 2022. Honestly, I was actually looking back at some box scores from 2022 this week. And I noticed that a lot. You know, you would have one day the Sox lose 10 to nine. The next day they lose two to nothing. It's like one aspect of their game is going to be good on a particular day, but the other one's not. And it's very rare that they were having, you know, pitching, defense and hitting all doing well at the same time. Can So real quick, I think the biggest note, at least from the last week, and it has settled over the last two days because of. Michael Kopech's outing, and then, you know, what Dylan Cease did today against the Twins. But for a while, uh, the starting pitching woes was kind of came out of nowhere because we talked last week about how good we felt about what the starting rotation was able to do in Houston. Then Michael Kopech comes out for the home opener on Monday against the Giants, four and two thirds, seven earned runs, gave up five home runs. Four of them came in the fifth inning. That inning was like watching a guy throw batting practice and it comes out, you know, after the fact he was tipping his pitches. Okay. Kopech made a fix, looked better on Sunday. You feel good about that relatively. Lance Lynn on Wednesday, four and a third, eight earned runs. He gives up three home runs. Lucas Giolito on Thursday against the Pittsburgh Pirates, a team he no hit in 2020, gives up 12 hits and seven earned runs in just four innings pitched. Basically three games that the White Sox never had a chance to win because their starting pitching uh, just never really gave them a shot. And, and so that happens three games early in the week. Then you have the one to nothing loss, which, you know, we talked about how frustrating that is. And I guess, Noah, my question for you, there's two ways to look at that one to nothing loss. Is it a loss that you say we wanted better pitching? We got better pitching. I'm not worried about the result because overall it shows that things are starting to correct or is it, we have concerns about the pitching and we still lost on a day that the pitching was good. I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, It's really hard this early in the season to, 
to take results for what they are. So, you know, obviously every win is worth one win. And, you know, these games that are here in April count just as much as winning a game in September does. So, you know, if the, if the Sox were to go into September, they lose the division by two games, you know, you can circle back to April and you can say, well, there's a couple of games we probably should have won and we gave them away. And that's the difference in our season, but also, you know, there's a lot of season left and seeing Michael Kopech bounce back is a good indicator of how he's going to pitch moving forward. I think his performance moving forward is going to be closer to how he did on Sunday rather than how he did, you know, last Monday in the home opener. So I think you can look at it and say, this was a promising thing that Michael Kopech was better. And I think it means well for him moving forward um, for his next, you know, 30 plus starts that he makes this year, but also frustrating that we didn't get the win there. And I'm not worried about Kopech personally, but I am a little bit worried about Lance Lynn and Lucas Giolito, and we can get into that in a little bit. Well, that's why I ask you, because I know that you feel that way about Lynn and Giolito. I am less worried about Lynn than I am Giolito. I believe Lance Lynn, you know, he's had some clunkers here and there, but he has, you know, overall proven the guy just knows how to pitch. Uh, but Lucas Giolito sitting at 93 with his fastball and, you know, getting hit around the way that he has is concerning for a guy that we thought was going to look like vintage Giolito um, of 2019, circa 2019. But knowing how you feel about Lynn and Giolito and your concern level, that's why I asked that question, because it's like, well, you get a good start from Kopech. You know, you're going to get a good start from Dylan Cease every here and there, but it's like, Every time Michael Kopech or Mike Clevenger, somebody takes the ball and you get a good quality start, does that not make that game feel that much more important to win, knowing that you have concern over the other pieces in the rotation? I think it does. Um, I think you can't, it, it, it does suck when you, you know, you get, you have these kind of wild cards in your rotation. And I think at this point, that's what, Lance Lynn and Lucas Giolito are they're kind of wild cards at this point I'm not Um, I don't think it's fair to say that about Lance Lynn though I mean he had one bad start he was pretty good against Houston I'm I'm a little bit lower on Lance Lynn just because Lance Lynn is what 35 now and he is a pitcher who relies very heavily on his fastball he doesn't throw a lot of off-speed pitches well, the way he's made most of the money in his career is by throwing different variations of a fastball, four seamer, two seamer, cutter, sinker. He mixes all of those together. And the fastball is typically the first pitch that you lose life on when you age. And so I said this a little bit about him last year, um, and I ended up being wrong. But even more so this year, he's a year older than last year. I'm a little bit worried that he's losing some of the life on that fastball um, and that is going to lead to some regression for him. So while I don't think he's going to give up eight runs every start like he did this last week, I don't think that we should necessarily expect him to be the, you know, top of the rotation starter that he has been the past few years. I think he may, may regress a little bit. Um, Lucas Giolito on the other hand may just be cooked. I mean, well, I, I want to get on the record of saying that, you know, I, I believe in Lance Lynn for the rest of this year and moving forward. I think he has established himself as a starting pitcher in this league and especially with the White Sox over the last few seasons here where uh, you you trust him to bounce back. I think he knows his stuff. He knows how to pitch. 
He's never been fully reliant, like on overpowering guys. Yes. He's reliant on that fastball, but it's more about uh, keeping guys guessing the movement on his different fastballs, how he spots up uh, rather than like, Hey, I'm going to blow this by you like a Dylan cease or somebody like that. So, I, I mean, big test for him coming up on Tuesday when he faces off against the Minnesota twins and scores off with Pablo Lopez. But I mean, he's a guy that, you know, he coming off of a good year and a really good second half and he looked good in the world baseball classic and he looked pretty good in Houston. So I'm not going to, uh, you know, make any judgments of Lance Lynn based off of one start. Neither am I going to do that off of Michael Kopech's one start. And I think he proved a lot of Sox fans wrong that were getting worried about Kopech a little bit too early. Lucas Giolito is a different story because this is, you know, off of a disappointing 2022 season for Lucas Giolito, where you were depending on him to be that number two, number one type of guy. Luckily, Dylan Cease went to another level and gave you a dependable ace at the top of your rotation. But Lucas Giolito fell off a cliff last year and he doesn't look any better so far this year. Like with runners on base, He is giving up the big hit, like giving up the home run, giving up the extra base hit with, you know, multiple guys on that start to blow innings open. He is not overwhelming with his fastball. He's not spotting his changeup particularly well. And, you know, that is the recipe for Lucas Chilito to get knocked around. Like these other guys, Kopech, Lynn, they gave up home runs. Lucas Giolito gave up 12 hits and four innings against the Pirates. So, I mean, that is concerning more more so than hey the Giants left the yard a couple times at guaranteed rate field this is a dude that you know now kind of two starts in a row has left something to be desired yeah I'm with you on Giolito I the one noticeable thing for him has been that drop in fastball velocity which you touched a little bit on earlier Um, but for a guy who relies heavily on a changeup losing velocity on his fastball ruins his changeup as well because you need that difference in speed between the fastball and changeup to make the changeup effective. So when your fastball is sitting 95, 96, like it used to for Giolito, then your changeup at 85 is going to be more effective than when your fastball is 92, 93 and your changeups at 85. So I don't know what happened to Lucas Giolito. I know, you know, he talked about he tried to gain some weight last off season and, you know, then he got sick and it didn't work out, but he, took all that weight back off this, this off season. Um, and he said he felt good and he just hasn't shown it yet. Yeah. Um, I mean, his first start, he got, you know, kind of unlucky with some of the hits that turned into runs with, you know, uh, ground balls, seeing eye ground balls that found holes and, you know, just balls that found gaps in the outfield. But when Lucas well, those Giolito, ground balls, I mean, that's the reality of the game now. There's no more shift anymore. So those are going to be hits for everyone now. So, well, and when Lucas I mean, while Giolito, they were, while they were tough luck, it's, that's just what you got to live with now. When he is going good and things are right, the pitch that I think is an indicator for me is when he's able to get swinging strikes with a high changeup. It's a pitch that he throws a lot of the time. And most people would look at and say, Hey, you don't want to throw that up there, but when his fastball has the late life that it does sitting at 95 and it's got, 
you know, a, a good amount of spin and it looks like 98 and it's elevated in the zone, he's able to work off of his changeup way more effectively, throw it up in the zone, come right after hitters, keep them off balance and get some early soft contact and counts and be very efficient as a pitcher. That is Lucas Giolito. That's good. Lucas Giolito throwing 92 miles an hour cannot get away with that same pitch. And you elevate that, that change up, it's going to get hit hard. And that's what, you know, we've kind of seen so far is that there isn't this enough of a, a difference between the fastball to the change. He hasn't been able to get his off speed over the plate with regularity. And so when he is throwing his fastball or his change up or something, he knows to throw for a strike, it's getting barreled. And, and I don't know if there's a fix for that other than, you know, hopefully his velocity ticks back up and he can start spotting the off speed, but uh, a, a weird, weird, weird kind of fall from grace for a guy that was really one of the better pitchers in the American league for three years from 19 to 21 um, to now be starting a second season of just disappointing starts. And I want to go on record here and say to those of you who are going to say, well, he's worse without the sticky stuff. That is just blatantly not true. Uh, Lucas Giolito was better in the second half of 2021 after the sticky stuff ban than he was before. So there isn't a correlation there. And I see it so much on Sox Twitter. Well, he was just a sticky stuff merchant. Once he stopped being able to cheat, now he can't pitch anymore. I just, I don't want to hear it. That is not what happened to Lucas Giolito. And I don't want, I don't want that to be the excuse. I would be interested in looking at his spin rates. Uh, I didn't do that research ahead of the podcast, so I can't speak to it t- today. Uh, but I would be fascinated to look at what that changeup spin rate and specifically the fastball spin rate, which has the decreased velocity, but what are the RPMs that he's getting on his heater? Uh, and is there a correlation between the starts that are bad and the starts that are good and his spin rate? And how do we fix that? But that's kind of the uh, the starting pitching struggles that highlighted last week. We'll see how uh, Lynn Giolito fare. Uh, shout out to Mike Clevenger as we're going through the the rotation. Two good starts for Mike Clevenger, a guy that you know, hand up. I was very very sour on coming into the year, both uh, off the field and on the field as a pitcher for what I thought he could bring and what I, how healthy I thought he was for the White Sox. He did not look very good in spring training. He's done a nice job so far in both his starts at at least giving them a chance to win, and they've won both of his starts so far. So, uh, you know, if, if Mike Clevenger continues to do what he's doing right now, no White Sox fans are going to complain or have any issues. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that that will come in handy down the stretch. And Dylan Cease, of course, just doing Dylan Cease stuff. You look forward to watching him pitch every fifth day. Uh, So yeah, they lose to San Francisco two out of three. They lose to Pittsburgh two out of three, but I I think where everybody started to get the negative vibes of 2022 Noah is uh, the injuries have started once again, Eloy Jimenez uh, with hamstring. It's not a tear is a strain hamstring strain grade one yet somehow they're already ruling him out for two to three weeks when he was just casually running from first to third. Uh, Joe Kelly hurts his groin in the benches clearing brawl, uh, but with the White Sox and the Pirates goes on the 10-day DL. 
Yoan Moncada, a flare-up in the back soreness that he struggled with at the end of spring training, now has him day-to-day. He wasn't in the lineup on Monday. And Tim Anderson, on Monday afternoon, collided uh, between second and third base on a botched rundown by Hanser Alberto, where he kind of like hesitated to throw the ball, flipped it back to Tim, who then got ran into by the twins runner incidentally, and his knee went down holding his knee later left the game and his day-to-day with knee soreness. So more to come there. And you just pray that Tim Anderson is not going to miss significant time with a significant knee injury. So here we go again. Uh, You can wrap Eloy Jimenez in bubble wrap. You can stick him at DH. You can prevent him from playing the outfield or doing anything silly. It feels like that hamstring is going to hurt itself at one point in every season. And I don't have many words to say other than deja vu. Yeah, I think it's hilarious, actually. Um, Rick Hahn likes to speak before every homestand uh, during the season. And so... He did his normal before Monday's home opener. He did his normal, uh, you know, talking to the media uh, and he specifically mentioned, you know, I'm really happy that I don't have any injury news to report on at this time. Um, And then he made some kind of backhanded joke about how I'm sure at some point this season we'll have, you know, someone will go down with a hamstring injury or something. And literally that day, Eloy Jimenez hurts his hamstring like clockwork. Rick Hahn just sees the future. That day, Eloy Jimenez does. Um, it felt like a fever dream, dude. Like, we, <laughs> like it wasn't. It wasn't even in the game. Like, Tim, you're used to these White Sox injuries that you see it happen. Your heart stops. You go, "Oh no, please be okay." And it becomes very clear they are not okay. And then you get the bad news later that day or the next day. All was well in White Sox world, and then you wake up to three weeks for Eloy Jimenez on the IL. And it's just like, what? When, when did that happen? When did Eloy get hurt? Like, we can't escape it. And it's at the point, frankly, this is why on our season preview podcast, you, Mitchell Kaminsky, both had over 40 home runs for Eloy Jimenez and an MVP to contention season. I said, yeah, I don't know about that one. And this is a big reason why, because I don't think Eloy will ever be a regular reliable bat in a major league lineup. I I don't think his body is cut out for it. Will he have a 30 or 40 home run season at some point? I mean, he's already had one 30 home run season, but will he, you know, pop up as having a really good year here or there? Sure. Maybe, you know, whether it's with the White Sox or somebody else down the line, if he can stay healthy, but I'm not sure he's somebody you can build around moving forward if this stuff doesn't, you know, magically disappear for the rest of the way in 2023. Yeah, I think when we recorded that season preview podcast, I was just in a good mood or something um, because I look back on some of the predictions I made and I'm like, why was I that optimistic? I'm like, I, try, I tried I, to warn everybody. That I know I, you did. I know you I tried did. to I, warn everybody that everybody in White Sox media and probably baseball media as a whole does this, but you get that little opening day buzz going of thinking like what's right around the corner. Let me, let me try and lean a little optimistic here and there and how things can work out. And I, you have to stay grounded with some of this stuff because then you start thinking about, well, what if Eloy Jimenez hits 45 home runs and just wins an MVP? That would be pretty cool. 
<laughs> like, yeah, it would. But unfortunately, the guy is made of glass. So we can't have nice things like that. Yeah, I think that's exactly what happened. I just kind of, you know, got caught up in the excitement of opening day and made some overly optimistic predictions that I'm now regretting less than two weeks later. Um, but yeah, it sucks. I mean, personally, I don't think the White Sox needed to put Eloy Jimenez on the injured list. Um, I think they did so out of an abundance of caution. He's been taking batting practice pretty much every day this week and hitting tanks in batting practice, um, which he always seems to do. And then Why have I not a, seen that? Is that so? Uh, I... Yeah, it's been all over Twitter. Just, you know, look up Eloy Jimenez batting practice. But I mean, I, I suppose it's the running, though. I mean, like you... I get it. You don't pay him to run the bases. You pay him to hit bombs. But like at the end of the day, if he hits the ball off the wall, somebody's got to make it to second base. <laughs> and so, yeah, he, he hits the ball on the ground too much to not be able to run. Um, but no, I, I think that the White Sox put him on the IL more as uh, we're just going to be cautious with him. We're not going to push him now. Because I think what they've seen the past couple of years is something was bothering him. He tried to play through it, and it led to him getting hurt even worse and missing more time later. Um, so I think what they decided to do was rest him now, let him be 100%, then bring him back, and hopefully we're going to pray that that doesn't keep him out later. I don't know how realistic that is. Um, I mean, this is a different hamstring than the one he tore last year and had surgery on. So it seems that both of his hamstrings are uh, not elite in the durability category. Um, but I don't know. I mean, hopefully he comes back right when the 10 days is up and he's back to normal and we can see him in the lineup for a while. But I, at this point, we just can't count on it. I really just don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's just questions, and I don't know what he does in the offseason. We know he lost the weight this offseason, but, like, there's a lot that goes into soft tissue stuff. A lot of it is, you know, your flexibility to your weight, your muscle mass in certain areas of your body compared to uh, how much fat you have. Um, You don't want to injure your tissue in any way or your ligaments in any way. So what is his flexibility like? What's his explosive movement like? What is his training regiment like? And is he prepared? Is he training the correct way for what the White Sox are asking him to do or the movements that he has to do on a baseball field? I don't know the answer to those questions, but I think there are questions that you have to ask as a fan, as the White Sox, as a teammate of Eloy Jimenez right now, because it's just, it's infuriating and frustrating and hilarious all at the same time somehow uh moving on from the injuries i want to go big picture noah because five and six is not how anybody expected this season to start especially um after a series with a giants team that we don't particularly believe is very good a series with a pirates team that while they've started off hot we don't believe is particularly good so where are you Uh, on a concern level of one to 10 about the White Sox record in mind, all the things off the field in terms of injuries, morale in mind, their style of play in mind, 10 being panic mode, one being enjoy the ride. As Steve Stone would say, where are you with the White Sox right now? I don't know that I could put it to a number, um, but what I will say is that I have been 
in panic mode since last year, and my level of panic hasn't really gone down. Um, and here, and here's what I mean. I, I don't think that the Chicago White Sox are in a position where the, it's the fans' responsibility to give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I think they had that privilege last year. They came off of a division championship where they won 93 games in 2021. And last year, when they started off a little bit rough, they were in a position where, okay, you know, they did this last year. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. They'll be fine. But last year, they ruined that for themselves. They finished 500. They didn't make the playoffs. And this year, they don't get that right. This year, they are in a position where they need to prove to the fans that they are better, not the other way around. So I would say my level of panic is probably somewhere in the middle, five or six. I'm just kind of at the point where I'm I'm not sure if the White Sox are better. I think 11 games is not – it's too early to tell whether this team is better than last year or not. Um, but I think at this point, the fans are not in a position where we can sit back and say, well, you know – I, I trust them. Let's let's just let it play out. I think at this point, it's this team is what they were last year until they show us that they're not. Yeah. So I'm going to push back. I, I don't think it's too early to say. I think this is the same team from last year. I, I think they have a lot of the same habits. And, and you're 11 games in, and maybe the White Sox finish with 95 wins because the Houston Astros are also five and six right now. So, like, results are not everything at this stage, but the way that they play is to me. The way that the White Sox have played in 2023 is reflective of the same 500 ball club that we watched all summer last year, where they do give away runs with poor defense. They do make extra outs on the base paths, although that has really been better since like the second game of the season. They do hit too many singles, by the way. That has not been talked about enough because the runs have come for the most part, but this team has hit too many singles for a team that, by the way, also can't hit with runners in scoring position still. Another week that we saw a lot of guys left on base. Their starting pitching is a roller coaster. When it's good, the bullpen's bad. When it's bad, the bullpen's good. And when both are good, the hitting doesn't show up. Those are traits of a 500 team that shows flashes but can't put it all together. So where am I in my concern level for this season? This might come as a surprise after that rant, too. And it's a two because this is kind of what I expected. And this is what I predicted when I went through my season preview of a lot of the things so far are coming true for the most part, where I didn't think the White Sox would stay healthy, where I was concerned about their bullpen without Liam Hendricks, where I didn't think Elvis Andrus was going to be the difference maker that everybody was making him out to be in the off season. Uh, Those things are true so far. And, and, so I haven't been too surprised with the White Sox play, but I am at an eight in panic when I look at the White Sox franchise as a whole, because, and I don't think White Sox fans are ready for this or that the reality has set in yet. If it doesn't work this year, if they do not turn it around in the next 151 games, the rebuild as we know it, 
is effectively over and is effectively a failure because you've got turnover, major turnover coming to the White Sox roster very soon with a Lucas Giolito contract expiring, a Yasmani Grandal contract expiring, a Lance Lynn contract soon to expire, Tim Anderson with one more year left on his deal. The list goes on. Mike Clevenger won't be back. Elvis Andrus won't be back. Liam Hendricks, his, his contract is wrapping up. So the core, like the core of the White Sox might be locked into place, but the rest of this team that makes them a quote-unquote contender is on its way out. If you don't win now, does anybody trust Jerry Reinsdorf to say, let's go do it again and build around this team again? I don't. So when I, I'm not surprised or panicked about this season, but I do go through flashes of panic, sadness, anger, all at the same time, because it starts to like dawn on me that, wow, this really was never what I dreamed of it to be. And if it doesn't fix itself quickly, it's never going to be. And, uh, as this season plays out, I think White Sox fans as a whole are going to start having that realization more and more if they don't turn things around in 2023. I have a lot of thoughts. Uh, I'm going to start with a little bit of pushback on a couple of the things that you said early um, about the team hitting too many singles. Uh, coming into today, they were fourth in baseball in extra base hits. So they are hitting a lot of doubles. They actually we're leading baseball in doubles up until a couple of days ago. Well, per, I don't know if that's still the so case. Perhaps it's not too many singles because they do hit a lot of singles, but it is those extra base hits really don't come with guys on base, which is what I get frustrated by. Like they leave a lot of guys on, on base where, you know, two hits or a, a leadoff double do me no good. If you can't situationally hit to produce a run in that scenario. And, and they have really, really, really been bad at that. I would kill to just see a leadoff double turn into a, a ground out to the right side and a sacrifice fly one time. But that doesn't seem to be this in this White Sox team's DNA. Um, so, like, they have hit, uh, and the offense has overall been good outside of your, probably your opener, and then your, you know, one to nothing loss against Pittsburgh. But, like, how sustainable is it if you can't situationally hit and a lot of your power hitters, Eloy Jimenez is on the shelf. Andrew Vaughn has zero home runs. Like you need to start driving the ball out of the ballpark quickly. No, I'm with you. They don't hit enough home runs. That was a problem last year. And while their home run rate is slightly improved at this point, I don't think it's enough to make a huge difference. So they need to hit more home runs. And that's just a fact. But to sit here and say that they're a singles machine team when they're top five in extra base hits, I think is just a little bit, a uh, little bit of an exaggeration. Um, the other thing I wanted to comment on is, yeah, today the defense was bad. They had three errors. All three of the Twins' runs were caused by bad defense. Um, but coming into today, in their first ten games of the season, they had four errors. So. Their defense has been largely good uh, until today. And obviously, you know, Luis Roberts played good defense. Oscar Colas has made some nice plays out in right field. The defense is one area that I think has definitely been improved from last year. 
Um, it's and situational we'll see... though for me. Like, oh, I think pound for pound, you're right. They make more plays, but if you can't make the big play in the big situation and you allow a play to turn into a run, like Luis Robert has been amazing. He is excluded from any and all defensive gripes that I have against this team. But like outside of him and like Yoan Moncada made a big error in the first series of the year that cost them a run and almost cost them. It would have cost them a game had, had they not come back. So like uh, you have to, I, I hate using the phrase over and over again, but you win in the margins and you lose in the margins. And I find that the white Sox find a way whether an individual base running blunder, an individual defensive mistake, uh, one poor situational hitting, a, a pitcher blowing a lead, they find a way to lose in the margins more often than not. And those are some of the tendencies that I see that make me believe this is a 500 team. I want to see how they do moving forward defensively. Um, last year, they would have a game like today where they had a bunch of errors and they would just carry it over to the next day. And the rest of the week would just be what is going on with the white Sox defense. Why can't anyone make a play? So I want to see how the rest of the twin series goes, how the series with the Orioles this weekend goes. I I want to see how they take a tough day defensively and learn from it and don't let it happen again this week. So I will get back to you on that, but honestly, I've been happy with the defense up until today. Um, and so I don't think there's any really real well, gripes there. Here, Here's another thing that I think is concerning, which we'll see how it plays out. But I, I believe the White Sox bench is very, very poor defensively. And so when you have some injuries right now, Eloy Jimenez, Yuan Moncada, Tim Anderson, all out. Eloy Jimenez, obviously no defensive value there, but no Tim Anderson, no Yuan Moncada. Uh, what it, and with Eloy gone, what does that start to do? Well, that means that we're getting Gavin Sheets uh, at first base some of the time. He made some mistakes today. We're getting Hanser Alberto on the infield regularly. He made a couple really bad defensive mistakes today. Uh, Jake Berger is up. Jake Berger can mash. Jake Berger is not a good defender and does not improve your defense. So I, I, I would be worried that, you know, if you have some of your starters that you are, are, are your better defenders out, what is your defense like when those guys are not on the field? Like Romy Gonzalez, he's not a good right fielder. He might be competent out here and we haven't really seen him tested yet in like in the outfield, but if he's your fourth outfielder when Luis Robert needs a day off and Oscar Colas goes to center field that hurts your outfield defense so like just something to be wary of with some of these injuries as well like there is a defensive consequence for these moves as well yeah and I also want to touch on uh, the second part of what you talked about which is kind of how dire the situation is for the White Sox and I agree Um, I was saying this the other day to some people, if, if the White Sox are not in the playoff picture or very close to the playoff picture at the trade deadline, I would tear it down. I would trade everyone that you could get a little bit of value for and start over. I don't, uh, that's a complete, that's a big conversation. And I don't know if I would say that. I mean, the issue 
I don't know, issue or not an issue, you have to decide. But you do have under contract for 2024, regardless. Tim Anderson, Luis Robert, Yoan Mankata, Andrew Vaughn, you know, Oscar Colas will be back. You've got, yeah, I'm definitely, Eloy Jimenez is under contract. I, I'm missing guys in there. Michael Kopech and Dylan Cease will be back in your rotation if you want them to be. So there is a shell of a competitive team. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if it was instead of, hey, let's see if we turn this around in August and September, if it was we're going to trade Lance Lynn, we're going to trade Yasmani Grandal, we're going to trade anybody that's kind of on an expiring deal and get what we can. And then it becomes the offseason question of do they or are they committed to winning around a group of talented players or are they going to say, it's rebuild 3.0, 4.0, whatever. That's a big, big thing to say, though, that you would move on from anybody that you have value from, because I think there's a lot of players on this team that are under contract for a long time that I have that have serious long term value to building a winner. And well, I don't I don't necessarily mean everybody. But, you know, your your expiring contracts, obviously, I would trade Giolito. I would trade probably Tim Anderson. I would probably trade Liam Hendricks, assuming he's back and healthy. Anyone that is not going to be around in four or five years when you kind of reset this whole rebuild and come back, because, I mean, like you were talking about, if you go into the offseason having, you know, finished 500 again, and now you've got all these holes because three of your starters left and you know, you got one year left to Tim Anderson. Well, now you need a catcher because Grandal's gone. You need a closer. And we know Rick Hahn loves to spend on relievers. But do you really think that Jerry Reinsdorf is going to allow this team to splurge in free agency and sign players to fill all these holes, especially in a class where the free agent market is not super strong? Uh, it's it's not as strong of a free agent class as it has been the past couple of years. Yeah. So well, I just think I just think from a baseball perspective, man, they need to bite the bullet. And if it if it makes sense to try again with a new core, I mean, personally, I would try again without Rick Hahn if this fails again this year. But I don't know that that's going to happen. Look, I, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to have this conversation yet. I mean, it's a dark conversation to have. We are 11 games into the year. Uh, we cannot wave a white flag or declare this another rebuild. No, absolutely just yet. Not. So I'm, I'm not ready of, to do no, that yet. For I, sure. But this is not the conversation that we need to be having right now. We need to be talking about the five and six White Sox. I, I do agree with you that it's a dire situation. I think it looks more of a retool. But a lot of that's dependent on what kind of happens between now and July 31st. So let's look at the five and six team. Let's look at this last week. Star of the week, Noah. Um, there's not too many of them, uh, but I'm going to go with my guy because it's a, it's a sentimental pick. Uh, it's Jake Berger for me coming up from the minor leagues. He gave me a burger birthday bomb. Uh, on my birthday on Friday, which for my guy watching him come up and then, uh, you know, putting one in the seats in Pittsburgh for me on my, on my B day was, was awesome. That was my favorite moment of the week. That was, uh, that was my star of the week, Jake Berger, who as always, I feel like he just, you knew this too. We were talking about it. it he comes up 
a lefty's on the mound and he gets in that lineup that first or second day, you're just like, yeah, Jake's going to do something today. Like Jake's going to hit a double or hit a homer. He's going to do something fun today. Um, And so I've enjoyed watching his uh, limited time with the club since Eloy went down. Yeah, that's a good pick. Uh, I'm, that moment was awesome. The the double that he had against the Giants, I think they said, was the second hardest hit ball of the year so far. Yeah. Uh, and the only one they hit one harder was Giancarlo Stanton, who is the king of exit velocity. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, he gets in the lineup the second day in a row. And of course, he hits that long home run off of Rich Hill, which, by the way, I'm pretty sure I could homer off of Rich Hill at this point in his career. Uh, he's spinning well, him up just, there at like 65. That's very so hittable. Funny. Rich Hill keeps so many guys off balance. And Jake, Jake Berger is the exact guy that is going to just punish Rick, Rich Hill. And, and so it's a, it's a slow sweeping curve at the top of the zone. I don't know if Rich Hill watched many scouting reports or just missed, like, missed his spot on that pitch, but Berger loves a ball up. If he can get a ball up at his hands and get his hands up to it, that's his pitch to elevate. And he just, it's like an effortless swing that goes 420 into left field. Yeah, it was awesome. But that was, it's like the writing was on the wall. Easy, easy bet, easy call, easy pick to click. It it was Jake Berger against the Pirates. So he's my star of the week. He's done a great job of filling in. And I think Gavin Sheets deserves a shout out for this too. Uh, I mean, he, made some defensive mistakes today, but he had a three hit day in the one to nothing loss really is the only guy that showed up. And between him and Jake Berger, they have done a very nice job of not making Eloy Jimenez's bat out of the lineup feel like a big void. They've been very productive between the two of them. So Berger and Sheets, uh, good on both of them for their last week of ball. Yeah. Gavin's been great as well. Uh, he's, like you said, really the only one that was putting up good at bats against Johan Oviedo on Sunday. Um, for my star of the week, I went with Luis Robert. Uh, I think it was a very impressive week for him. He took a couple of games to kind of get his feet under him for the season started, but he went on a tear this week. Um, I don't know where he's at now, but as of a couple of days ago, I think he was like third or fourth in baseball and war. Um, only like Adam Duvall and Brian Reynolds we're ahead of him. So Luis has been on an absolute tear, continues to play solid defense in center field. Um, and I think, again, massive caveat here, if he stays healthy, which Luis, another player who has not yet proven that he can, uh, hopefully he can this year. If he stays healthy, I think good things are to come for Luis Robert, and he's going to show people that um, all of their five tool projections were not uh, unrealistic. Um, he may not be like a 40, 40 player, but I think he's going to have a good year. I'm still a skeptic of Luis Robert. I, I hate to be that guy, but, but you know, his I'm worried about his approach. I'm worried about his plate discipline. I'm worried about the slumps that we have seen him get in, in the past. That being said, he was excellent this week and I will take every game of me being surprised at how well Luis Robert is playing this season that I can get. I mean, 333 with four home runs and 10 RBIs, even 1,000 OPS in 45 at-bats. He's played in 10 of the White Sox 11 games. I will certainly take that from Luis. So, uh, yeah, I mean, keep that up, and uh, we'll see where he winds up, you know, later in the year. 
Um, but yeah, and the outfield defense, especially was just that much more valuable, saving a couple games and a lot of runs with uh, his abilities out in center field. I think he is a prime candidate for the American League Gold Glove in center field again this year, something he has already won once before, but uh, he was certainly a star this week. Uh, bum of the week. I'm going to give an honorable mention to Jose Ruiz, who is no longer with the team, who is an absolute bum, an absolute double A arm, Arizona giving up money for him in a cash considerations trade might be the worst, like fireable offense by the Arizona Diamondbacks general manager. What do you want with Jose Ruiz? This guy does not deserve, you should put a restraining order on him to not get within a hundred feet of any baseball mound. Like he has no business being in a major league uniform. And my other honorable mention goes to Rick Hahn, who kept Jose Ruiz on this roster when Pedro Grafol himself said, you know, I'm, I'm really not familiar with the guy, but he, I mean, he looked okay in the, in the World Baseball Classic, so I guess we'll see. And you give Nick Avila back to the Giants, who had a 1.1 ERA or something like that, over 40 appearances in AA last year. You give him back to the Giants to keep Jose Ruiz to DFA him 10 days later with a 22 ERA. I don't care if Nick Avila had a bad spring training or not. That is a bad, bad process. Uh, you don't have Davis Martin on this team. You don't have a couple of the other guys that potentially deserve the spot on the team. I don't know if Nick Avila turns out to be a competent major league reliever in the near future, the white Sox are probably going to wish they had that one back because the 10 games of Jose Ruiz giving up bombs was just an absolute, uh, it was dumpster fire. So Rick Hahn bum for that one. But my ultimate bum of the week is going to be to a guy that we already uh, kind of ragged on, and I'm not going to get too in-depth on because we have already talked about it, but I'm giving it to Lucas Giolito because the expectations to the result have not been uh, what we signed up for. It's not what we expected, and it's really not something we can afford. So uh, Lucas Giolito gets my bum of the week, and uh, his, again, 12 hits in four innings against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Pathetic performance, really bad. That's all I have to say on that. Uh, I was going to give mine to Lucas Giolito as well, uh, but since you chose him, I will give my bum of the week to the Pittsburgh Pirates fan base um, because, you know, I like the Pirates. I like the Pirates before. Uh, They've been one of my favorite National League teams for a while. I tend to like teams that are Cubs division rivals, so... I've never had a problem with the Pirates, um, but they are actively rooting against White Sox fans now. They are celebrating Tim Anderson getting hurt today, all because O'Neill Cruz decided not to slide correctly into home plate, and somehow that is the White Sox fault. So uh, I'm learning a lot about how Pittsburgh Pirates fans are in the last couple of days that I had no idea about. So they win my Bum of the Week award. Look, I understand Pirates fans. You're emotionally attached to O'Neill Cruz. You don't have much going for you other than O'Neill Cruz and Brian Reynolds inevitably being shipped off in July for a Hall of Prospects. And uh, yeah, you get to watch Andrew McCutcheon hit like 17 homers for your team this year. So that's what you have to look forward to if you're a Pirates fan. And one of those three things just got taken away from you. So I understand your frustration. You don't need to take it out 
on the White Sox. You don't need to take it out on Sebi Zavala, who, let's be frank, was the victim in this situation because he's the catcher that gave the guy a a running path. And if O'Neill Cruz slides like a human being, not only is he not injured, Sebi Zavala is not mad at him. There is no fight. And by the way, he's probably safe. He's probably safe if he slides to like the entire right side of the baseline that Zavala gave him to slide into. So yeah, be frustrated at the situation. Don't take it out on Sebi, who has a right to be angry at that slide because it puts a catcher in uh, danger and you can't go spikes up. So that's all there is to it. Uh, I think that's a good one because we didn't even touch on that brawl, which uh, shout out to Michael Kopech, by the way. I enjoyed his comment saying, I'm not going to be the guy to start things, but I'm going to be the one to finish them. And yeah, I don't know if uh, like, Carlos Santana or what I don't know if they know what they're getting into Michael Kopech's not somebody that I want smoke with like I he's up there on the list of like I think he's got a little bit of lunatic in him where it's like he gets angry you start to see some fire come out of his eyes I, I want no part of that correct me if I'm wrong but didn't Michael Kopech hurt himself like back in double a for punching a teammate he did. He like he, he like did. broke that his hand that? or something when he was in the minors. He like punched a teammate in the face. So yeah, I I wouldn't really want to instigate anything with him. I I take him in a fight over most guys. All you guys. have to do it. It was one of the most intimidating moments I've seen on television. Was Michael Kopech in the Field of Dreams game? He gets a strikeout to end an inning in like the seventh or something, a big out for the Sox, and he comes off like. Liam Hendricks and Lance Lynn's demon child coming off that mound. And he is twice as physically intimidating as both of those guys. It was, yeah, that's not somebody that I'm like, yo, let's let, let's throw some hands with he, I leave him alone and kind of let him do his own thing. But uh, that is star of the week and bum of the week real quick before we get out of here, let's take a look at the AL central standings. Uh, The White Sox closed some ground with their win over Minnesota on Monday. The Twins now in second place in the AL Central at six and four, while the White Sox improved to five and six. But up on top is those pesky Guardians. Guardians going to Guardian. That is what they've done. Uh, They keep finding a, a damn way to come back and win these games. Like they don't go away. They find the blue pits. They find the clutch one when it matters. They're at seven and four, leading the AL Central. Minnesota six and four, like I said, the White Sox at five and six. Kansas City three and seven, Detroit two and seven. That will probably uh, remain irrelevant for the remainder of the season. I'd be surprised if either one of those teams made a run towards the top of the standings. Uh, but the White Sox kind of in the mix, still have some work to do. Certainly winning some division games will help and they've got a chance to do so. Uh, Later this week, the upcoming schedule, it is two more with Minnesota on Tuesday and Wednesday. It's Lance Lynn and Lucas Giolito going for the White Sox against the Twins and off day Thursday. And then Clevenger, Kopech and Cease will be at home against the Baltimore Orioles. A fun, young and very talented Orioles team comes to the south side. So Five and six right now. We'll see where we're at after five more games coming the next time Noah and I uh, start talking ball. But uh, 
Yeah, uh, I mean, it's all starting here, uh, and it's not going quite how we think. Hopefully, the 4-3 to three win today was exactly what the Sox needed to turn things around. We'll see. All right, that's all we got today. We will see you next week, a Monday episode next week for episode 7, and, uh, you know, maybe a an over 500 White Sox team, maybe a, a winners of six in a row White Sox team at that point, but probably not. So without further ado, we will continue putting crooked numbers up on that board. We'll see you.